Welcome to the Heroes of Reality Podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Hey, Denise, welcome. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. All right. Awesome. I'm really excited to talk to you um, about virtual reality and health, um, but let's kick things off with uh, what you've been up to recently. What's What's been new on your plate? Well, I sort of have two hats. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the one hand, I uh, am a communicator, writer, consultant, um, host of, uh, of events, all promoting digital health and patient engagement. Mm-hmm. And on the other, I uh, co-founded and manage a platform called VR for Health, whose purpose is to present curated information to professionals and patients about the use of virtual reality therapeutically. That's awesome. That's that's uh, that's that's awesome. What, so when what really got you in the whole areas of uh, e-health and and VR? What's what was your origin story of that? Yeah, I've been in this for for quite some time, and I think that growing up and being a young adult a long time ago prepared me. Uh, for that or set the stage for wanting digital health to exist. Um, In my family, a close relative of mine, my father, um, had a health condition, cardiac condition that required constant attention and there were were no distance tools that could do that. And um, my uncle was a professor of medicine and had my father not had access to this person who could realize that something was wrong, get him into the hospital at the last minute, he would have died even sooner. And on the other hand, in the, in the other part of the family, um, without this, um, there were, without the contact with that uncle, there were many medical uh, situations that went poorly treated. So I was already aware of the problem of quality. Um, and then I worked for a pharmaceutical company at one point in marketing and discovered that for any one profile of patient, you would have a whole variety of strategies, treatment strategies and approaches to the patient. And I thought this isn't right. So when I learned of the internet, which was in the mid nineties, because what I'm telling you about was before then, um, I thought this was going to really make a big difference that we would solve so many of these problems right away because everyone would have access to this information and make the right decisions and in fact no we've been we've been progressing over the past 25 years but um there's still so much more to do than what we have achieved sure absolutely yeah we're, we're constantly evolving and figuring things out and i feel like technology is always a uh a, a five pound bag you're trying to shove 10 pounds of crap in it's progressively moving along that path as we go through it. So uh, let me ask you this question in terms of um, uh, you talking about e-health or uh, telehealth. Um, how do you see that merging with virtual reality? What have you seen? What excites you about that path? Um, well, e-health itself is a whole universe. Um, mm-hmm. At the moment, given the number of headsets being sold, we can't say that virtual reality is going to overtake medicine um, in the short run, Mm -hmm. but at some point it could make a huge difference for a majority of people because virtual reality brings non-pharmacological solutions to many things that we 
currently don't solve as best as we could. And there would be less need for anesthesia, for traditional anesthesia. Um, people with chronic pain might have less recourse to addictive um, products. Um, anxiety could certainly be under better control. And then there's the whole world of rehabilitation, um, retraining parts of the body that virtual reality is, is better known for. And what is great at the present time compared to, to the past is that these, uh, this information goes out much more than it used to, to the consumer at large, to the professional at large. So hopefully there can be some pull making the uh, system move towards these things. Mm. Um, right, right now, what I see as a, a major shift is the introduction of artificial intelligence potentially into everything because all of the things that we're creating with digital health, because uh, digital is binary, we're counting things, um, constantly collecting more data. It means that artificial intelligence is going to be more and more useful to optimize how we improve. So I see that as the basis. And artificial intelligence can work on any of the other applications, including virtual reality. Um, it could allow you to see what gets the best results for the person and to capture and analyze so much information. Have you seen um, artificial intelligence integrating with virtual reality for health? Um, I think that there is work going on in, uh, yes, in the headsets in terms of uh, analyzing, um, they can analyze very finely the movements of the head or um, capturing, as we put more and more sensors into this, capturing all the rest, you know, how is the heart rate going? What is going on uh, with breathing? Um, but I can't say that I'm aware and, I'm certainly not an encyclopedia of knowledge of all that's going on in, yeah. in virtual reality, but I'm not aware of a particular application that's available that has gone through the hoops with that. Yeah, all this technology is merging together, right? It's like, it's like you know, someone invented a wheel, someone invented an engine, someone invented a steering wheel, and these are all things being bolted together. So at some part, you know, AI, biofeedback, virtual reality, all these things are coming together to really kind of create a whole universe that allows us to connect um, yes, in better ways. And, yeah, and I think that with the COVID epidemic, what's really interesting is that the teleconsult became sort of like a, an intersection, a boulevard, around which all of this could develop because with the teleconsult, then you want more connected objects. The more you have the connected objects, the more data you're connecting, then you're going to run the artificial uh, intelligence uh, through it, etc., mm -hmm. etc. Et yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Artificial intelligence is is a, is a fascinating topic. It's so wide ranging, right? You have you have convolutional neural networks. You have specific general. You have specific intelligence. You have general intelligence. You have Skynet as the super you know intelligence. Um, in what ways have you seen artificial intelligence uh, fundamentally shifting um, uh, the health industry or e health? Well, one uh, area that I think. Um has a real need, a couple of things, where things are happening is in medical imagery. Mm. Um, it turns out that performing an x-ray in the emergency department is one of the most common things that they do. 
And depending on where you are and where you are in the world, um, you may or may not have the availability of a radiologist. It may be the emergency physician analyzing this. So to have, um, and that's what um, hospitals or clinics are starting to do, to have uh, software that gives you an opinion on is this X or Y, um, is, um, is having a certain uptake. So um, there is um, even a company I'm, I'm aware of uh, in Europe that's decided to be the Netflix of this. In, in other words, they are going to create some of their own, they are creating some of their own apps by working with doctors, understanding their needs uh-huh. for, for very specific use cases. I'm not gonna say it's the left arm X-ray software, but it is different kinds of, of, of X-ray situations. Mm-hmm. And they're also um, hosting uh, software that is uh, proposed by other uh, companies because a startup has a hard time uh, scaling up. And I think that the idea of having a, uh, a software platform for these AI powered X-ray support diagnosis, diagnostic support tools, is is, is pretty smart. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's super interesting stuff, and that's the thing that uh, people don't realize is that uh, artificial intelligence is in a very specific use case, right? There's very specific things it can do. It's not like a general computer can do general things, right? Versus you know a uh, factory line rubber stamp machine. That's a very specific and narrow use case, and that's kind of where we're at with artificial intelligence. And right, right. Yeah. We're not we're not far enough for it to the to replace us. And yeah. I think that it would be important to get the word hybrid out. I think for the foreseeable future, we're living in a hybrid world. People have always been worried that digital would come in and take the humanity out of medicine, but um, I think that we're we're going to need both. It would be like you can't have a uh, yeah, you can't have just a machine running something. You can't just have a human. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, t- technology is nothing more than the magnification of the human intent, right? So you use technology. All the best technologies connect us better. The airplane, the cell phone, the internet, what we're currently on right now, podcasting. I mean, these are all technologies that allow us to enhance the human connection, right? And so that's mm-hmm. people sometimes you know, they, they, they try to slice and dice it. And it's just not, we are part of the technology that we're growing with. We are evolving with it. Like find my human that doesn't use a cell phone or a computer in this modern society. It just doesn't exist. Right. Um, unless you're a Quaker. Um, and that's an, that's an option. That's another path you can go down. Um, but for the most part, I mean, we are merging with it in some way, shape or form. Do you, how do you feel about that? That we are merging with the, to technology, yeah, yeah. To technology, um, we're we've been doing this since time began, um, yeah. <laughs> from caveman on. The, even even um, primates use tools, mm-hmm. um, so uh, it's just the nature of the tools that is uh, is changing. So I've never been worried about that. Where I would have concerns are if, for reasons of lack of staff. Um, it would say, okay, well, it's just going to be the decision of the software and nobody's going to, to weigh in on it. Um, yeah. But, uh, and there might be cases where there is no doctor present and at least have that. But uh, Isn't that funny, though? Like, like just, let's just take a look at that real quick. 
you're right. It's 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 a human in a loop. Uh, nobody wants anybody to make critical life or death decisions by having it done by a machine, even though the machine is possibly more competent than humans. I mean, we have often made errors to uh, the detriment of our own lives and other people. How many times have doctors messed up prescriptions? How many times have mm -hmm. judges messed up sentences? How many times have people messed up driving on a car? But if you look at like driving in a, in a fully automated vehicle, people would rather make their own decision and have agency and crash their own car, even though they know that they're more likely to crash their own car than to fully rely on an autonomous uh, vehicle that might kill them way, way less, but at least it was their own decision and or mistake to make that happen. It's a really interesting conundrum that we with that we'd rather have agency to our own detriment than trust in a computer, even though it's probably more and more likely to actually be in the right. It's an interesting. Yeah, yeah. You're right. You brought up one of the most complicated ones, the autonomous driving mm -hmm. uh, situation well, where they say you have a choice between hitting your grandmother or hitting the wall and killing your passenger. Which one do you do? <laughs> uh, it's, it's interesting, though, that, that well, we want control, right? We're, and we need control. And it feels it feels safe to have control, even though you're like in our in our own right. We can't be trusted as much as a machine can be some cases right and other times not so much they're a bit flawed but in a very we're getting that very specific use case right so i'm wondering yeah how like how long before we have that fully autonomous vehicle before we actually will trust the computers enough to be like you know what it's it's got my back you know i mm -hmm. i feel a little bit about you ever use Waze, the app Waze? Yes. yeah it's funny because Waze um will recommend these weird paths to me to yes. get past traffic and for the longest time, I was like, this isn't right. You don't know what you're doing. But there were so many times that it just brought me down to a path where I was like, oh, 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 my God, it, this is better. Driving to some, through someone's neighborhood, going past someone's front lawn, waving at their kid, going along the path. It's interesting. And then after, after a while, I was like, you know what? I give up. You win. I'm just going to say that you got it better figured out than I do. I'm just going to trust you ways. Of course, now my life isn't in the line, um, but just my, my overall pride of uh, yeah. thinking that I know better in terms of directions than it does. So I'm wondering how long we, we let that with for life threatening yeah, I, analysis. I would trust Waze uh, immediately. Yeah. Um, but in this whole question of man versus machine, we yeah. haven't pronounced very much the word patient yet. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that there is another big opportunity for people with startups to try and find out more ways to engage, uh, to have patients contribute to the whole medical and health process. We, we don't even know what we're missing. Um, yeah. As we go in, um, with something that's very quantitative, mm -hmm. we're missing out on just human dialogue. And no matter what you do, technologists want to take it and then analyze it and turn it into graphs. But I think that, that there is so much power in what the patients are thinking and experiencing experiencing that we could apply to the to the healthcare process and i have one uh startup example which is 11 health do you know them no i don't so uh it's a company that started by a patient who passed away in 2020. um he started this i don't know about seven i mean he, he was always on the brink of passing away given his condition which is that he'd had a colon transplant and then with the immunosuppressor products you would get cancer and so all these different 
things happening to him. But um, this company is entirely built on patient knowledge of how you could improve upon the stomi, the pouches that people wear who have these challenges with their colon. Um, and um, this company has, has done wonders for, for the patients in this. It could never have been thought through. What do they do? I'm sorry. So they produce, they produce yeah. sensor-laden uh, stomi for people who don't have a colon who wear the, uh, the pouch. Oh, interesting. That's cool. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah, I've, I've heard of something similar. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, a CEO of a company called DocBot, um, not the same exact thing, but you basically swallow this pill and there's like little cameras on it and it can go through the liver and it can, and it can use that to detect cancer uh, moving through the body um, in very yeah. specific areas. I think well, it's liver or something like that. Yeah, This is different. The idea yeah. is that as the pouch fills up, the the sensor will tell you when you need to change it. It will tell you the biological nature of the of what is in it, um, and uh, it's it's a product that would go through hospitals. But I mean, I don't work with them. This person who passed away was a friend, um, but who for his whole life uh, was ill with Crohn's disease, and um, uh, tried to sort out the situation of how to how to take advantage and, and bring the patient in and make things better. Isn't that funny? Um, I don't mean like ha-ha funny, but isn't it yeah. interesting uh, how yeah. the pain that people suffer puts them on a mission to try to solve that pain and alleviate it in others? Um, try to like, they, they, you know, like you, you've had, you know, family um, health mm -hmm. issues that then puts you on a mission and someone else's pain and suffering. And it's a really interesting thing how we, we, we sometimes try to avoid the pain that we face. Um, but in other times we use it as fuel, uh, to help us, um, to solve that pain in other people's lives. And it's a, it's a very interesting human condition that we. That yes. We, I, I agree with you. I often ask people how they chose their profession, what they do. And it's quite often in response to a certain, problem or thing or something around them because if you've never seen it experienced it heard of it it's hard to do it yeah yeah and, and, and you're not there's not as much motivation you know you don't you don't feel it unless you see the pain in others or you feel it yourself um yeah and i actually i have run a number one of the things i do is to run startup contests i've run a number of startup contests you get to know hundreds of of startups and what you say is true quite often it's um, because of someone in their family or their own situation that they realized there was X that could be done that might shift things. The origin stories of a superhero. Mm -hmm. um, when you say you run a number of startup events, is that hackathons or what is it specifically when you well, say events? It's, um, at certain medical conference, well, it was used to be at my own physical conference, which I don't do anymore, but that was called Doctors 2.0. But at many conferences, it can be uh, an activity to sensitize professionals to what's out there in the way of startups in their field. So someone will say, I'm getting together this category of professionals. Can you create uh, a way to make this exciting and have them learn about it? So I can propose an event within the event that would start beforehand of having startups submit on the theme of whatever 
specialty it is. Mm -hmm. And then you could involve the professionals in judging, being mm -hmm. judging from the audience, as well as have a, have a jury. You can set up some form, I guess, digital or real exhibit stands. Um, so um, we have found that this is an interesting add-on to conferences for professionals. Yeah, uh, pitch fest almost. So people are coming right, in on, right. on, on yeah, topic. Pitching, so, but they're not pitching for money. They're they're pitching to get feedback and to get exposure. And it's different from a hackathon where you're starting from scratch on a particular mm -hmm. problem, mostly. I, I think that they're fascinating. Then I often fear, you know, what's going to happen next, because sometimes it's even a hackathon where people just meet during the hackathon and they may not be able to follow up uh, yeah. together. Uh, I like the idea of supporting a startup that has gotten to a prototype uh, and actually has something to show that can work and exposing them to a number of healthcare professionals or patients to get feedback. I, yeah, I've, I've ran a number of hackathons in virtual reality uh, since 2014, um, hosted, judged, organized, all that stuff. And uh, very often they're, they're terrible things that don't have any life, uh, but occasionally they come off and they're, they're pretty incredible stuff. I'll tell you about one use case um, just relevant to this conversation. Um, I was a judge of the Creating Reality Hackathon, uh, the lead judge over there over at USC, University of Southern California. Mm -hmm. And this one team got together <clears throat> and they, uh, they took shaky cam AI, you know, shaky cam AI, and they put it inside VR. And they put that inside VR for the controllers. And the use case they used it for uh, was for people with Parkinson's. And so people like that would normalize the hand. So then in VR, they could actually have a quality of life in paint. And then they used that and they fed it through an AI system, much like training phantom limb syndrome in order to release mm -hmm. one hand through the other thing, right? Typical use case that they took it. And so that you could train and they would be given symbols and then the AI would look at it and feed them back instructions on what they need to do. At least that's a theory that they had, but they're actually able to produce a result where if you did this inside VR, it would just normalize out. And uh, it was one of the best use cases that I've seen of taking kind of a, a standard AI technology, if you want to call it such, um, and then being able to integrate that with VR for a very practical, tactical use case that not only instantly increased the quality of life for somebody, um, but also allowed them to be able to use it to feedback for more trainings to enable people in the future. So it's pretty interesting stuff. Um, but a blending of AI and VR technology together is pretty cool stuff. Um, yeah. Have you, what, what for you has, has been the most interesting things that these doing these pitch fests that have stood out to you that you're like, Oh wow, that's, that's super incredible. Or that's really innovative. Have, have, have there been any of those things that stood out to you as like, as like a, Oh my God moments. Um, well, quite often the, the emotion of it um, stands out that somebody's coming up there and really pitching with their guts <laughs> the, the whole uh, story. Um, there was one which was for um, pregnancy-induced diabetes. Um, this was um, a, a man whose dad uh, is a professor of, uh, in, in, of uh, endocrinology, I guess, and who had sort of taken a sub-specialty interest in this field. And uh, they all knew that it's very important to have regular contact with, with the woman during the pregnancy to monitor this and modulate it 
whatever I don't I don't know exactly whatever treatments are required and um, the son who um, became a bit of a geek realized that he could take his father's Excel sheets and do something with that and um, he and another person created a startup um, that that startup won the contest uh, one year which we had a partnership with Stanford Medicine and so I um, accompanied them there and they presented on stage and several years later they're still going they are oh. present in, in many hospitals this is French so um, uh, I don't know if they're they're not yet planning to go to the US because European uh, startups realize that the level of investment required is is higher because it's such a larger place that's super interesting. Yeah, I, lo I love it when someone has, they're just laying around and they're like, oh, I can do something with these Excel spreadsheets. And then they take it and then. Yeah, realizing out. that it could become, and, and that with his father's contacts, he was able to get into, to test it out, to get into a few uh, departments. That's um, great. Yeah. Uh, and another, um, I mean, there's so many amazing. Uh, amazing startups. There's a, a woman I know whose male companion um, passed away and uh, he'd had cancer, he'd suffered a lot, and she uh, created a tool called Bliss, um, which was recently presented at ASCO, ASCO 21, um, which is a virtual reality program or set of programs for both the professionals themselves to reduce their anxiety, but also for patients uh, anxiety and, and for procedures. So she's been at this for 10 years. Um, wow. this, and she created her startup as a social enterprise. It's, it's a not-for-profit. Um, oh, that's yeah. awesome. That's yeah. beautiful. Lance, what was the, what was the genesis for you, um, in terms of VR for health? Like what, what sparked that? What kicked that off? Um, what was really, uh, a great question. I have always loved um, engaging with patients, um, whether it was inviting them myself to be speakers or just interviewing them. And I had contacted Cedar sinai um, to ask if they were going to launch a, a new conference called Virtual Medicine, if there was a spot uh, for me to get involved with patients on stage, and there was. So I I hosted a session that was that everybody loved when you get the patients to explain what's going on. And um, I came back the second year and the second year in the audience, there was a former patient um, who came up to me and said, I heard you, you want this virtual reality to become a thing sooner rather than later. That's my goal too. I'd had cancer. If only I could have used this for meditation and other things, you know, nobody helps you. You're just there with the treatment and, the idea that the that being in VR accelerates time, mm -hmm. this is a very important um, observation by by patients. It's a perception they have that when they're wearing the headset, the time just goes by like this, as opposed to while you're in labor, for example, or mm -hmm. um, uh, or that you're in uh, in a painful situation. So. Um, that woman, Beth, became my uh, became a, a co-founder. In fact, I would say it was even uh, Beth 
who was the instigator of creating uh, VR for Health. Let's do something together. And so, yeah. That's awesome. What do you think is the mechanism that causes time to move quicker in VR? I, I, I don't know. I'm not going to make something up. In <laughs> I, don't, I make up things all the time on here. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I, I don't know. I guess maybe maybe in meditation yeah. as well uh, yeah. it does. But it, it could. I, I've definitely done meditations people, that time time flies yeah. by. People usually say, "Oh, yeah. it's the distraction." Yeah. But, it, um, is there anything? Is there anything in in like VR that you've tried personally that you find be mind blowing or soothing or anything you use on a regular basis? Are there any pieces of that that you've you've tried the VR technology and you're like, "Oh, that is." That is something that's impressive or you like or anything that well, really stands out? The experience is immediate as soon as you, um, it's something you can't really describe until people try it, they they can't sense that. I, the very first time um, that I tried was at a conference, um, Games for Health, uh, because VR does border on gaming. Um, some of the people come to that from the world of gaming because you create sort of games, fictional scenarios. And uh, I tried two things at that time. One was you get into a glass elevator and as you move your head up and down, um, you're going up and down. And I thought that was amazing. This was created for people who would be afraid of heights. I didn't have that problem, but I thought that this was such an exciting uh, experience. Um, interesting. Yeah, and the second thing was um, the rehab. Was This was a rehab for the eyes where you are wearing the headset and you're, you're pointing with your eyes at different things that appear. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that is amazing. You know, other than that, my experience has been more with just simple relaxation, like you know, trip sure. or something. So, yeah, those are yeah. all beautiful experiences. It can be used for a bunch of different reasons. Um, and... Um, but, but I would say that my most, the most, uh, two, two amazing things. One is, you know, speaking with women who have delivered uh, using using VR. That like sort birth? Of, like, yeah, birth. They've been yes. at birth of the VR. <laughs> um, what are they, is it like soothing activities? What are they, I'm literally in the other yes, room. There, it, there, I'm it, with. Just, it occupies them in the same way as it would for anything else. And, um, uh, they will explain that when they're told, okay, now we're ready for some of the final pushes, they, they're really surprised. Um, so wow. I had, I had wow. interviewed on stage a woman who, who had at that point done it for, I think she said like three children in, wow. with this method, thanks to having a with it doctor who was aware of this. Because she'd had a first birth um, where with the anesthesia, she felt that she couldn't bond right away with the child was a bit groggy or something. Um, so she was, I think that was brave of her uh, wow. years ago to try this. I will pass that message. I literally, there's a woman in the next room. Um, uh, my, my best, this? uh, she's, um, 8.75 months pregnant and she's due any moment. Um, well, I hope that, that she can find the solution in that uh, place where she's going because yeah. yeah so that is, um, that is pretty, uh, pretty amazing. That's impressive. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, great. And so, um, uh, is there anything else you'd like to let people know about um, before you can tell people how they can get a hold of you? Well, um, we at, at VR for Health are mm -hmm. 
open to partners who have a, a do good or a tech for good project in mind. We'd like to work with them, um, a tech for good project in mind that we could uh, design around the use of virtual reality for health. So, um, you know, just any number of either vulnerable populations or people with a certain medical condition. And um, in particular, my partner would set up a, a multiple partnership that, uh, that could make that happen. So if people are listening and, and want to do that, be happy to hear from them. Or if they have content that they think, um, like video content that is informative, didactic, we are happy to, to take that. Beautiful. Awesome. Um, I'm sure there are people listening um, that would be very much interested in that. Um, so if you have an idea or a product or you're in the areas of VR for Health and you have some uh, super awesome content, please reach out to VR for Health and Denise here and she can take hold and take care of that. Yeah, and, also and looking for, for healthcare professionals, medical students, whatever, who'd like to contribute. Beautiful. Uh, Denise, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you being on the show. Um, I appreciate you getting up um, or staying up late and being here with me. I know we're uh, cross continents here, so it's not let's... late yet. It's the end. It's the end of the working day. It's not late. It's not late. Okay, great. Well, I, I very much appreciate you and appreciate your time. Um, have a blessed and beautiful day, and I will see you in another reality. You too, Dylan. Thank you so much. Anyways, bye now. Take care. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.